the good, the bad, the ugly. In this unprecedented podcast, I sit down with Product Finishing Magazine's chief editor, Scott Francis, as he joins me in positing the potentialities on the good, the bad, and the ugly trends that could change and influence our industry. Thinking on our feet, we're trying to make sense of it all as we begin to lay out a framework in how supply chain disruptions workforce reshoring, EU regulation, near sourcing, biochem breakthroughs, mergers and acquisitions, and China just may bring you wildcard fortunes in the future. It's time to get your cult action handy, light a cigarillo, and pour a scotch. It's all on the table today. Get ready to level up your powder coater game. Welcome to the Powder Coder Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kim Scott. Today, we welcome Scott Francis, editor of Product Finishing Magazine. And as you know, our podcast interviews influencers and in the powder coating industry covers trending topics so powder coders can effectively learn and grow their business. You already know that, but I'm happy to introduce Scott. How are you doing today, Scott? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here, Kim. Yeah, and um, so you've been an editor, you're the new, uh, I guess you've been there for about a, a little over a year now, you've been the editor of Product Finishing Magazine, yep. um, but you've also been an editor of other uh, uh, topics and books and magazines. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, and then we'll kind of talk about more about Product Finishing Magazine and what it is. Sure. So yeah, new editor is definitely fair. Um, I you know, started last year in um, March. So if you think about that, (laughs) what's been going on? What happened in March of 2020? It's been been a weird, um, weird beginning. Yeah. For for this, this stage of my career. Um, But so, yeah, I came on in the midst of the pandemic, um, had all these, these trade shows that I was planning to go to and subsequently had to cancel all my flights um i i've maybe met like four or five people in person right um (laughs) you know when you really get down to it um in the industry um but you know um prior to this i worked on composites world a sister publication to um products finishing and uh had about a two-year um two-year stint on that publication. I was a senior editor, um, content uh, generator. And um, prior to that, I worked for a woodworking um, magazine, Popular Woodworking. Um, That was more of a uh, direct-to-consumer type of thing. So um, very different than the B2B world, but, um, you know, we were were an educational um, source and how-to kind of thing. so, you know, and I've had my hand in a lot of different things, everything from graphic design to, um, you know, writing about writing. So, um, right. you know, my my real, um, I, I guess I'm sort of one of those jack of all trades, master of none kind of guys. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I learned a lot um, by telling other people's stories about different things. And that is how I try to approach all of this is that, you know, my job is not so much being the expert in the room. It's to it's to help give people who are um, to help them tell their story, and that's the way I try to approach 
um, what we do at Products Finishing and what I've done in, in my past roles as well is really just help people get, get out what they are trying to say and um, get it to their audience in the best way we can. Yeah, I, I think that I feel I feel for feel that uh, deeply because that's exactly what we try to do here at the podcast um, is to is to share that story, share our story, but also share the story of custom coders and their in and share their insights and knowledge as well, you know, right. um, and product. I'll tell you, product finishing magazine, I. Um, discovered it. Um, a couple of years ago, or may, well, maybe more than that. Um, and I really do look forward to getting this magazine. This is the latest cover of Product Finishing Magazine. And um, it's it basically is a magazine that covers surface finishing. Um, uh, so it'll cover things like uh, powder coatings, but also electroplating and um, what other thing, what other industries does it cover? Cause like you guys talk about, you, you try to do cross, uh, across yeah, so all things. Yeah. So I would say the, the main three areas, um, if you want to be the, the simplest way of putting it is, um, electroplating, powder coating and liquid coatings, um, paint, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, other like, um, non-corrosive, primers and things like that. So e-coat, um, those are like the main areas of what we report on. Um, I would say that, you know, there's also um, some kind of sub areas of, of things that we're trying to also make sure that we cover, um, you know, plating on plastics and um, some of those things that we don't, we don't hit as much, but um, that, that kind of stuff I think is increasingly important. Um, as we think about um, the way technologies are changing, um, everything from like electric vehicles um, and things that are going to need more um, autonomous controls. So we're thinking right. a lot about that kind of thing as well. And what role platers or plating um, or coding technologies will play in that? You know, this story on um, coding batteries for EVs. Um, fairly recently that's gotten a lot of interest um, and thinking about some of the like um, sort of things that you need for shielding um, when you're plating some parts that will be um, in some of the like aerospace. um, Right. That's a big industry there. So, um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different things that are on my mind and some of that comes from my background working on, um, yeah, brand. Um, you know, I, w- I went from knowing not very much about <laughs> the manufacturing world to trying to keep up with these people that were talking about ad- really advanced materials. And, um, you know, then I moved to this, uh, this realm, which, you know, has a lot of tradition in it. And um, does. And you know, trying to balance that with, with also like all of the, the sort of like new stuff that, that people are doing, um, you know, there's, there's things that won't go away. And, but then there's also, you know, trying to stay on top of what new things are out there. So that, and, and where that balance is for, for industries that, you know, there, there's certain people that are going to do it the way they've always done it, but there's, there's other young, um, you know, and then there's innov- innovators, innovators and stuff that are like kind of that. coming yeah. up in those companies that are thinking about those things too. Right. So, right. Yeah. And you, you know, it's funny cause I guess when I first started working in this industry, um, I really didn't think much was happening in it. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, it, it's just like, here's your product, apply it, finish it, give it back to the customer kind of thing. Pretty straightforward and boring. But as I dug deeper, especially with the podcast and stuff, I've realized it's like a lot of gyrations going on in manufacturing and coatings right now. Um, I don't know if it's always been like that or uh, if it's if it's just something that's new um, or yeah. recent. Uh, and I started noticing and this is one of the reasons why we had you have you on the podcast today, because we're going to talk about 
uh, some mega trends um, coming on. And um, if you want to go that, go around that, yeah. Uh, some mega trends and stuff um, going on. And then some of the outcomes that custom coders like ourselves can actually, you know, like you see all these things happening, or maybe you're reading about them in your magazine. Um, uh, but what do they mean for the, for the everyday coder? Here's a message from today's sponsor. Ross Coat here from Maui Powder Works. You know, we've been providing customers with high-end custom coatings for over 20 years. We love the powder coating business, making auto parts, patio furniture, and stuff beautiful for our customers is the fun part. As you know, the hardest part of any job is getting parts prepped for finishing. At times, this means removing tough industrial OEM coatings, which can take hours, if not days, of chemical stripping and sandblasting. Our business was revolutionized when we discovered the great strippers from Benco Sales. Their customer service folks asked the right questions and recommended a stripper tailored for our needs. Give them a call today at 1-800-632-3626. Get 10% off any B17 products when you mention Roscoat. And I don't want to overwhelm everyone with this podcast because we can really get really, we may get a little theoretical. Uh, we may get a little um, talk about potentials. Um, but I think covering this greater, bigger picture is so vitally important um, to, the, you know, to everyone. Like I said, it's just so important. And so I think it's great that just so happened that you were talking about supply chain um, store, the supply chain storm, because it has been the topic of a lot of conversations um, in the Facebook groups and in where coders hang out and stuff like that. Right. Um, but we don't know what it means. We see suppliers making changes, sending us uh, emails about price increases or telling us that when we order, uh, it may take longer to turn around. Uh, we don't know what it means. And we're trying to figure out, is it the business that's experiencing the disruption or is it something that's greater supply chain, you know, something that's out of their control? We don't know. Um, and so we just hear what they're telling us. Some are just reassuring the market and telling them it's, it's a good, we got enough product, we can sell, we can help you. Others are doing, you know, so we can see that there's changes all around us, but what did they mean? We don't really know. Um, so I think that that's, um, you know, what we can talk about today. Obviously you wrote about supply chain. Um, and by the way, uh, how does someone get product finishing magazine? So, um, you know, the best thing you can do is go and subscribe. So, uh, productsfinishing.com and there'll be the latest issue tab. You can click on that, see what all we've got. You can download them there and, um, you know, the subscribe link is right there on the page as well. So, um, you'll sign up for that. We, we do vet everyone, um, just to, to make sure, you know, cause yeah. our, our audience, um, it is a B2B publication. So we, we go through all of that. So, you know, there's just a, a, things to fill out um, on that page it's pretty easy and um, from there you'll be on the list um, we also have a, a newsletter that comes out weekly so you can sign up for that as well um, and subscribe on the site as for that so that hits you know rounds up some of the the features that we have um, our own podcast and news that happens um, throughout the week so um, that's that's something I recommend also yeah. signing up for and it's free right i mean i i don't yes. remember paying for this so it no. is free yeah <laughs> it's, free. <laughs> it's free um yeah i i think we yeah, if you're involved in the industry we want you to have it so it's yeah. not yeah you know. um and and i do some of my favorite features and i actually uh, to be fair i you know i do uh, uh i have a news segment and I do cover some of the articles or some of the interesting, um, you know, like, so we have uh, Michael, uh, how do you say his last name? 
Gukas. Gukas. Okay. Okay. I want to say I say it right, but yeah, I always look forward to him because he's been, you know, this is all surveyed uh, people and stuff. And it's usually at the end of the article. And there's usually like a very, a, a very legitimate um, question and answer uh, kind of from, you know, that covers a lot of um, uh, questions about powder coatings or problems in the, you know, problems with coatings and stuff like that. And it's usually like Tiger, uh, somebody from Tiger Drylac or somebody, you know, like that's vital to our industry that we don't get access to on an everyday basis, right? And they're answering, you know, the expert is answering the question kind of thing. So, um, so let's talk about your article briefly, and then we can get into some of the bigger mega trends. And I'm going to, because you kind of touch base on it a little bit. Um, and also, I'm glad that you also covered uh, the workforce problem, because we did cover that in an earlier mm. episode. Uh, I think um, Powder Coated Tough had had a, a an educational one that we covered. And it, it is a, it's an aging thing. It's a, it's an age thing. It, and it's a, it's a trade gap thing um, because we've lost workforce people and um, how we're going to find our way back from that. So uh, I'll have to follow up on that one with you at some later point, but I um, I think it's interesting that you're kind of talking about it the same way that I kind of think about these things. Um, It, there's so much going on right now and it's so interconnected that I think, um, and I think that's the point that you're making as well. Mm-hmm. When you start thinking about all of what's going on and what it really all kind of means for the industry, I mean, you know, we start talking about the fallout of what has happened with COVID and we start thinking about the the problem of the supply chain. And there's so many factors that go into this. And this is not, these are not my insights. These are right. insights that I've gained from talking to others. Um, but, you know, they're one of the things that, contributes to that is the workforce problem, right? Um, So, you know, we're seeing everything from um, like, you know, the the shipping disruptions caused by, um, you know, just the the pandemic and then the winter storm in Texas, I would say that probably even the the hackers and the fuel (laughs) pipeline disruption has played a role in that. We had the, the, ship that was stuck sideways in the Suez Canal. I mean, it's been kind of just this, you would almost think it's like a SNL skit or something of all of the things that are just happening, factory explosions in China. I mean, it's it's seriously um, been just one thing after another that I think has contributed to this. Um, and you compound workforce interruptions due to either just people being sick, um, the precautions that companies have had to take, and then um, people that do get like um, some sort of relief package out of it, like relief deal, and then they just sort of bail on work. <laughs> um, you know, right. that is one thing that we hear from people is like, you know, the the fact that, you know, certain um Certain demographics, if they if they are do get money, they're they might not show up, um, right. and that's unfortunate. But that is part of what we um, are up against too. And and when you really think about it, um, all of those things are connected in 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 a way. And I think you pointing out like um, talking about Michael Gukas and the economics folks, I mean, they, they are so famous for this, of taking, taking something that has such a human element, boiling it down just to like the numbers of what's going on. And when I talked to him, like when I I first talked to Michael, I would be blown away just by all the data he's throwing at me. But, um, you know, it, it does help you think about it in this way that everything, you know, sort of, even though there's this human element to it, you can kind of see the the predictions and the trends from what's happening and um, try to try to gauge where where we go or what how we react in a more um, informed manner, I guess. Um, that that's it. I'm not an expert on that stuff. <laughs> exactly. And and I there are a couple of quotes here. Um, 
that um, stand out, you know, um, this uh, one guy you were interviewing, uh, Quint Towell um, from Powder Coating Technology, Inc., out of Schofield, Wisconsin, um, basically said that the finished raw materials are more expensive now because the precursors are more expensive. And yes. there are more demand now than there was a couple months ago. Uh, there's and there's less supply. And 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 getting to to Michael's reporting was basically saying exactly that. Um, I think I recopied. You know, I just basically regurgitated on my news segment. You you know his uh, January. I think the January episode. Uh, or addition um, of his report was basically saying exactly the demand is still there. It right. didn't slow down. And yet there's there uh, the back end of our businesses or the, this, this hum of uh, the essence of business. I mean, which is really chemical suppliers um, and raw material suppliers yeah. is really um, well, I think, no. I think I want to, I want to give a huge shout out to, to, Quint, um, he, he, he gave, I talked to Quint, um, he, he kind of came to me with some of this stuff as I was hearing other rumblings about it. And, um, you know, some of the things that he pointed out to me really helped me put together this article. So his insight was, was instrumental in, um, the way I was thinking about this. So, um, I, I wanted, you know, really kind of point to that quote that you mentioned, from um, powder technology. And, um, you know, one of the things that he and I talked through with this, this um, raw materials issue, um, the, the main, like the, the bigger catalysts are TGIC, um, the curing agent for powder coating, epoxy resins, and um, when we get on the liquid coatings, it's titanium dioxide. Um, so there's, um, you know, paints that that require that that have been in short supply particularly white paints that um mm -hmm. you know, we've seen that problem so you know basically what i what i've been able to glean is that these things are being um sucked up at their source right um you know some of this stuff is only produced in china or in asia yeah. and when you look at the rebound that they've had in their market, and this is one of the things that Gukas um, talks about is the V-shaped recovery that's going on there. Yeah. You know, all that, all that stuff, there's just nothing left for, for everyone else. Right. And then you get into um, suppliers pushing the alternatives um, and regulations. Yeah. And that, and that stuff is there. So, um, you know, we have a, we have a, um, article coming out in our June issue on, um, you were talking about the ask, ask the experts, uh, columns that we have in there. We have mm -hmm. one discussing the differences between the TGIC and the non TGIC. Yeah. And that I think will be really helpful for people if they're trying to make choices, um, with some of that and, and what, how, how may be best to use it if they're not, used to using some of those things and they're being forced. Right. To. I want to start covering these major trends. Um, and the first one that I want to talk about is uh, mergers and acquisitions and this buying, uh, this buying spree that that was the first one that actually when I started reading your magazine and Coatings World magazine and, and stuff like that, I, I realized it's like every week they were coming out with another uh, Axel Noble buys this, Exalta buys that. And I'm like, what is going on here? Every week they're just, it's a spending spree. You know, first of all, where are they getting this money? But, you know, I'm sure they're big business. It's getting more money. And why are they buying up Southeast China, you know, Southeast Asia? Why are they buying in Europe? Why are they buying all these places, you know, and factories and stuff? Do you want to comment on that? I I think that's a little bit more than <laughs> I'm able to really. Well, I have on. my theories. I, yeah. I have my I, part of it is the regulation. 
but also because they're getting ready for a a a, a boom. And part of it is this circular economy, um, which is uh, kind of a new thing. Um, you want to call it the global reset. It's part of this new model that we're heading to in the global the global thing. And it's a and it 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 it's kind of interesting because you you're wondering why are they're soaking up all these factories and all these technologies, but it's because they realize that there is going to be a new boom, um, and uh, and they're they're trying to get as much resources as they can under the under their belts uh, because it is the rise of larger companies or mega companies. Um, and I'm going to leave that one there for now because that is really, uh, really so high level. But I just want to kind of put it up there on the pedestal just to kind of say, okay, pay attention to what these larger companies are doing because it's always like it's always something that heads up something that's coming down the line, right? And and I think it's it, it, the anticipation of. Uh, what's called a circular economy um, and also what's called near sourcing, which is like a whole nother, uh, it could be another topic there. Um, but getting back to the global shortage, obviously we've talked about the shipping uh, has gone up, the Suez Canal thing. These are all stuff you hear in the, in the, um, uh, in the, on the TV or in the news or whatever. Um, that's leading to um, leading to immediate price increases, correct? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think my understanding of it is is that nobody really fully knows <laughs> what what's going on or what's happening next, and that we're all kind of reacting. Um, yeah trying to navigate it. And I, you know, I feel like that the ways that, that people are reacting are also in a way contributing to some of that too, because you have people protecting their core customers and um, that sort of thing happens and you understand that, but you just kind of have this, this perpetuating kind of thing where you, you have certain people who can get some of what they need easier than others in the in the entire market. Yeah, and this I call it the material world because I think of Madonna. I love Madonna in the '80s, so obviously I'm from the '80s. But like you know, um, her song "It's a Material World," and literally it is a material world. And this undercurrent of materials and 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 supply chain. Um, material, you know, materials that come to this through the supply chain, through suppliers, chemical uh, uh, companies and stuff like that. One for in particular, you mentioned a couple, but uh, uh, one of them is called butyl acetate. This is something that uh, was part of a, I think a, a force majeure in one of these chemical companies. Um, and a force majeure is just basically where they couldn't bring to contract the amount that they contracted for. And so basically the two, the two companies or the two contractors basically said, okay, we give up, we're not going to hold you to it, but we're not going to produce the product either. And it, 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 there were a lot of those, and those are things that never, ever, ever should happen, but have happened because of COVID-19 or because of the pandemic, whatever. Um, and it's this undercurrent that's being disrupted. So when you have this undercurrent being disruptive, then it kind of surfaces to the top um, and how it's affecting. And I think the Brexit thing is also another one that I found fascinating because there, these, the free trade agreement thing through EU was, they were, um, they, the people that are in manufacturing believe that their um, maintaining supply levels of raw materials is going to get harder for them, that the cost and the 
the pricing for raw materials is going to go up. And then the tariffs, uh, because now they're separated from the EU, they're bored, you know, now they've got to deal with more tariffs and, and, and more costs overhead for the EU people or the, the Brexit people or the UK people. Um, so there's, there's that level too. And, and so everybody's experiencing like a little bit of problems everywhere. And I, and to be honest with you, I think North America is probably the least disrupted. I think there's a lot more going on in the EU. There's certainly a lot going on in China. Here's a message from today's sponsor. Do you know chemical strippers from Banco Sales reduced our prep time by up to 80%? We chose Banco B17 and have been using it now for five years. We were surprised at how effortless it removed finishes from literally anything we put into it. Removal takes minutes, not hours. Several suppliers over the years have told us they have something as good as B17, but don't believe it. There's a reason the name B17 is universally applied for those claiming to have fast strippers. Buy it by name and available only by Benko Sales. B17 is the industry benchmark by which every other stripper is compared. Accept no substitute. Get started today by going to BencoSales.com. B-E-N-C-O Sales.com. Say Roscoat sent you for 10% off B17. Everybody wants to blame China, um, and I think they should. Uh, to a certain extent, it's easy to put the blame on another country, but uh, they're just kind of, they're just trying to protect their own, right? They're trying to hoard their materials because it's, instead yeah. of giving it to I mean, if we North were producing America, the TGIC or whatever, we'd want, we wouldn't yeah. all this stuff first. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we would be doing the same thing. Really, we would. Um, so it's easy to blame them, but they're not really, you know, you know, are they're, they're trying to just protect themselves or are they just really being bullies about it? And, you know, so you, you kind of have to understand that they're doing whatever it is they, they need to, because they need, they have their own products that they're trying, you know, they produce, I think 30% of the market, um, in powder coatings, it's, it's outrageous, um, how big of a market uh, and uh, that they are uh, for their own products that they're trying to sell to the world, you know, that we buy at Walmart, like our Lanai furniture or, you know, patio right. furniture and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, but they, they did talk about, I did learn about the differences between the linear um, model, which is where we're at now with China, which is where China produces everything for the U.S. It gets sent and then it ends up in our dump, uh, you know, in our landfills, you know, once we're tired of it. And then we buy something else at Walmart. And what they're trying to do is actually make it more of a circular economy. That's what these big globalists want is uh, something that where they're recapturing the the, mar the market um, on manufacturing. And things are going to be a little tighter and smaller, not so longer and bigger, I guess. It's it's very complicated, but I think that um, this, this trend is actually, this is where they want to take it. And how does that affect coders uh, is really where um, I think we're going to end up being... Um, it, it can either challenge some custom coders or it's going to rise them to the top. That's the way. And I think it's just really paying attention to these mega trends that is going to help them build their businesses faster and better. Um, if they can see these trends coming up. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, everyone's thinking about, you know, reshoring and, all the different things that contribute to all this, like, or, or you know, how do how do we kind of gain more control over the material flow and and products flowing as well? And you know, I one of the things that I started asking the question of was, you know, for platers, um, what what that really means because you know you're not shipping, you know, for for coders. 
you're not you're not necessarily shipping your products somewhere to get them coded. So it, it on the surface, it didn't really seem like there was, you know, in, in the early days when I was first asking that question, it didn't really seem like there was a really a reshoring problem for coders and finishers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for manufacturers, sure. But, um, you know, a lot of people are, when you make stuff here, you're going to send it somewhere here to get it coded. Um, but I think that there is more to thinking about all of this now. I think we're we're in the midst of it, like just the past few months of seeing and realizing all of the the pain points, um, and it all kind of like hit the fan with with the materials. And there's probably some people that saw it coming. There's that, and I've talked to some people that said, "Yeah, we saw first started hearing rumble, rumblings of this." a couple months ago or a few months ago or whatever. But I think, I think people are living it now. And, and, you know, what, what it's really going to mean in the end for the way people do things. Um, one of the interesting um, things that I started thinking about was a company that I talked to in Novacoat. They are a powder recycler um, for powder coating um, based out of Michigan. And, you know, month ago something like that they got some funding um from the state of michigan and uh to to really accelerate the work that they're doing and um you know i was talking to those guys and they're like we throw away powder coating like crazy you know you know it's it's supposed to be reclaimable and all of that stuff you know you reclaim it reuse it but you have to you know change the way you're working to do that um, color changes, things like that yeah. all. So it's not really efficient to do that in, in that way of working. And a lot of stuff gets wasted. Um, you know, the, I think what they quoted me was like 2 billion pounds of that stuff is sent to the landfill. And they're like, yeah. we are working with people to, you know, recycle that material, whether they sell it to another end, um, user of the powder coating or they're working with company you know with that's like going to use those colors um you know that's a whole that's a whole they 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 do a couple of different ways i think but um it was just interesting to start thinking about like you know aside from the um environmentally friendly gains we get from that material for it because it's not um got the vocs and things like that but we're still wasting material that could right yeah um so i think and and you know it it really comes down to what what is the most makes the most financial sense for a company when they're weighing those decisions i mean i don't think people are just just throwing it away (laughs) just willy-nilly because they know that they use it but they have to make it a choice, right? And and that choice is typically driven by their their bottom line. And um, but I, I think that you're right. I think the ways that people are considering materials as a um, as a as an investment or as a resource are going to continue to evolve and change. And you know that that means changes in our processes, changes in the way we do it. And I think eventually that's going to get into efficiencies. Um, So you start thinking about that and it brings in the whole industry 4.0 thing, which I feel like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that is another issue that's at the forefront. You hear it bandied about a lot, but, you know, when you really think about some of the things that could be streamlined, um, you know, I think there are solutions out there that can help people, um, help coders. You know, when I think, I think too often it's thought of as the last step in the process, right? And, you know, you, you build this thing, you make this product, you manufacture this thing, and then you send it to a coder. Um, instead of partnering with those people from the get-go um, and, I think that there's probably got, going to be some increasing attention to the ways that people work together using software or some some smart solutions to try and um, facilitate that 
even more than or, than it has been in the past. I think that you'll hear a lot of discussion about that. Yes, and I, I agree with you on the, and this is how it relates back to this massive shopping spree from, um, hi, can you go around? Oh, sure. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, this, why are they buying all these tooling and factories in, in Europe and with, or people with, you know, companies with patents and, um, you know, uh, all across Southeast Asia and Europe. And the bottom line is, is they, they are anticipating these advancements in the technology, like you're saying, and with the regulation uh, that they're doing, uh, um, you know, uh, that they're, they're anticipating more demand from the end user with powder coatings, because in the end, we're going, I don't think they'll ever get rid of all liquid coatings, but they are making this transition into more powder coatings for the world, <laughs> you know, um, because more end users are going to demand these kind, kinds of finishes. And this bodes well, and, and you can kind of see where this uh, powder coatings on wood uh, is coming from, right? This is the big thing that's being talked about, um, is if you can powder coat kitchen cabinets, uh, you know, then you're solving a huge market problem, right? A huge end user problem um, and, and user problem. People that are surrounded by liquid coatings all day long. I mean, this is the reason why we got out of business. Um, my husband's basically become allergic to uh, polyurethanes, uh, liquid coatings. Uh, we used to use the Minwax brand. And, you know, after painting so many years, and it even says on the back of the can, long-term delayed effects from long-term overexposure. I mean, that's literally what's on the can. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically, you know, because it's bad for people. It's not just bad for the user who's sitting there smelling the cabinets, but it's it's bad for the guy that's actually painting those cabinets and stuff. You know what I mean? And so, there, you know, I mean, I guess in a sense that, you know, it is more sustainable sustainable, but it's also more people friendly too, right? We can't have people getting sick and dying from their industries, right? That That's, that's not good. Um, but I think in the end, this advancement, this retooling, this reshoring, these, this mergers and acquisitions are, are designed to kind of be a positive in the industry. And I know people don't always look at it that way. They look at my life's changing or the global economy, the globalists are taking over and stuff like that. And I want to kind of tamp that down just a little bit because, uh, you know, in the end, I think it'll be a good thing for the powder coatings industry uh, because I, if for those that are going to take advantage of these major headwinds, they can kind of see some gaps in the market that they could maybe go for or grow their business and stuff like that. So, um, it's not all bad regulatory problems coming from EU or regulatory, you know, demands coming from the EU uh, are leading to advancements in biochemistry that in the end will help the industry. Um, do you agree with that? I, I do. Um, I think I'm in a position where I hear a lot of grousing about um, regulations and you understand where a lot of it comes from. Um, you know, whether we're talking about for coders or for um, metal players, um, you know, there's, there's stuff out there that makes it difficult for people to do their job the way that they've always done it. Um, and, you know, there's people who their, their businesses are threatened by these things. So, of course, they're going to um, fight for what, what they've always known or what their what their businesses are built on um that is that is one point of view that um you know is is perfectly understandable there's also the point of view that there's always progress and you always have to um adapt to new changes that are going to gradually better um 
the industry, society. Um, and I, you know, I'm the sort of person that believes that <laughs> there's, there's no, nobody's just absolute, most people aren't absolutely bonkers, right? They usually have a good reason for what they're, what they believe and what they're saying. And that there's a middle ground to be had. Um, you have to find the right balance between these things to try and find the true path. I feel like, you know, things become polarized because of politics and things get out of whack and you, you have people like throwing around things that aren't necessarily proven. And, you know, you, you hear, you hear people say, well, we've got to trust the science. And I think that that is really where things get back to. You have to, you have to kind of separate yourself from these gut reactions, these knee jerk reactions to this kind of stuff and do the hard work, um, be a little willing to compromise and understand where these things are coming from. And that's ultimately, I think, where, where people can meet again and drive things forward. Um, and that's, that's hard to do. But I think that is, um, you know, what I'm most interested in seeing what happens in, um, in manufacturing overall, combining, you know, just really lumping it all together, which I probably shouldn't do, but um, because they are separate things. But, um, you know, from regulations to workforce improvements, you know, the things that you were saying, I think bring in, kind of take you back to the workforce problem. Like, you know, what's gonna make these kind of jobs more appealing for people? Um, and help us solve our workforce problem. I would say that, you know, um, educating people, making them understand that, you know, this is a field of work that it's not just people on a shop floor anymore, right? There's, there's people that are um, doing really innovative things. And I think being involved in that at some level, there's there's areas for you to grow up through um, finishing industries, working together with other manufacturing. You know, there's it. It's really an exciting time mm -hmm. because of the advances that are being made and the technologies that are out there that will ultimately let people work together in better ways. And I think if you get in. Um, Maybe it starts on the shop floor, but there's so much potential in these industries for people that it's not, and it's not necessarily an unattainable thing for a population that, you know, has varied backgrounds in education, right? You can get these educational opportunities um, from some of the associations or from some of the, 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 um, the, ah. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. yes, I know what you're saying, and 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 we did address that um, a few weeks ago in what is what could come about, and I think everybody seems to, in terms of education, though, everybody, they, I don't think anybody's really quite made the crossover like you're talking. I mean, I, from what I can see, from my point, um, is that you know. PCI is doing PCI and um, Sherwin-Williams has got people over at their factory and, you know, but tries to sell them product, you know, and it, everybody's kind of doing their own thing still. And there isn't a um, cross collaboration that I'm seeing in for the benefit of education. Hey guys, you know, we never thought the Potter Coder podcast would take off as well as it has. The level of engagement and bringing us and coders together has been wonderful and worth every late night edit and weekend recording. Whether it's product features, smart business strategies, or custom coder interviews, we are encouraged to continue to bring great content. That's why we're going to show you how you can help us just a little bit more by sponsoring the show for as little as a dollar, five, or ten dollars per month. Just go to rosscoat.com page and look for the Become a Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner of the page. Once you're there, you can scroll to learn more about our goals and mission, 
grow our community by bringing you new episodes and news each week. With every sponsor level, you get something for yourself too to guarantee your success as a powder coat. We are so thankful for you and enjoying the content we bring you each week and hope you show your support by becoming a sponsor. And level up your powder coater game. And uh, one of the things that I was listening to, actually another podcast, um, and it was on um, uh, global supply chain um, and stuff, is what they call the Amazon effect, um, where Amazon, I think, has really taken the lead on this is when you order something from Amazon, it's like you're buying the product, but it's whoever is the closest to the source is what you're buying from, right? So um, that's how they're able to get you your products so quickly, right? Is that it's not coming right from some of the products you buy are from the Amazon warehouse, but they're sourcing everything at their warehouse from suppliers that are supplying them. And it's called it, the, the, the bigger term is called near sourcing, where they're using a sort of a, they're reducing the longer linear where it comes all the way from China and goes through the Suez Canal when it's working, <laughs> when there's no boat in the way. And then it makes its way eventually to the, the East Coast of North America. And then it gets distributed to Walmart's distribution or Safeway's distribution center, whatever. You know, I mean, that's um, this new global uh, way of thinking is is how Amazon is really doing, and that's that's all the near sourcing is. I guess there's a formal uh, understanding of it, um, and that is it's a term to describe a business placing some of its operations close to where its end products are sold. Right. Um, it's opposite of the longer trend of outsourcing manufacturing operations to develop nations, developing nations having lower labor costs. And, and this is like, I don't want to get too crazy with this, but this is what everybody gets mad at America for, because we do tend to take advantage of, um, these Brazil and, you know, some of these, um, underdeveloped nations or developing nations, um, like the BRICS, we've we've basically, you know, we raid them for their materials and manufacturing, and then when our dollar crashes, they suffer, and that's that's basically what people don't like about the United States and what it does. And I think that that's where they're trying to make that unevenness a little bit more equalized. Um, and I don't want to go too much further down there uh, on, on that one, <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, I, and I think there's one wild card out there and that for me is, um, commodities pricing, right. And it, this is really where, cause the commodity pricing on metals and aluminum, steel and, and copper are just kind of getting higher. And you know, we do need metal to powder coat. So uh, have you heard anything or have you thought of of that one at all? Because it's kind of a newer thing that's happened now. Um, I mean, yes, I've heard some of the folks that we talked to talk about the rising metal prices. Yes. So, I mean, I I would say that. Um, I, and and I don't think that's necessarily just the platers or, or just coders. I think platers too are, you know, obviously they're watching metal prices. And um, it was one of the things that when we were asking folks about what kind of supply chains uh, problems they were experiencing, um, you know, that was one of the things that they did talk about. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't have any insights that I can share on that. But yes, there people are noticing that that's going up. Yeah, because if it if it gets, it could slow per, it could slow um, productivity, um, and you know infrastructure build out. I mean, those are some of the things that have been coming up in the news for America is trying to 
you know, improve our infrastructure, put right. money, put money into that. But then if we have these high commodity prices in, in metals, um, how does that, how much will that slow it down too? So it's sort of a counter, a counter trend to this, um, you know, these other trends. And I think there's good and bad in all these trends that we've talked about um, and where powder coatings will end up being. Um, again, I'm still on the positive side. I think there's too many, there's a lot more ups than downs. Um, but um, in sort of the shorter term, I see this, um, you know, front of the line, uh, pat, you know, I guess, Prismatic had some supply disruption uh, lately um, where they introduced this front of the line pass, which I found very fascinating because uh, I'm wondering how many people did buy the jump the line pass for $75. And I'm wondering now what some of these other suppliers are thinking going, hmm, maybe we could initiate something like that. Uh, it, it kind of worries me as a custom coder buying, um, buying from them or from anybody if they think if if that's where that's going uh, to help, I guess, overcome their supply chain or uh, compound and uh, components to their powders, you know, sort of a, a way yeah. to circumvent is to, to do a front of the line pass or do a priority, priority yeah. purchase pass. And I, it, I don't know, it, that kind of scared me because I'm thinking you've got that now you may, and you're doing it just to satisfy a need that your customers have, but I'm wondering how long that's going to, if that's ever going to go away. I mean, maybe that's here to stay and maybe they're all thinking the same thing right about now. Yeah, I don't have any insight on that. Uh, I mean, I do know that I, as I talk to some some folks, I think all the different kind of suppliers were having different ways that they tried to assure their customers that they could get them what they needed, right? I mean, that's what you want to do. You want, you want to assure your customer that you're going to take care of them. Um, and, right. you know, who knows how the deals that are made during this odd time will will shape the the way business is done. I I don't know. <laughs> right? I know. It's it's all up. Uh it's like we're just shaking a a a a bucket of like, you know, just where are they all gonna land, you know, rune stones or whatever, you know, we're just gonna shake it and throw it out and, and see what and you know, sticks. You, you have to think like people are in the middle of whatever they're dealing with. Like, you know, you're as a supplier, you're um, in the middle between trying to get these raw materials and trying to yeah. deal with uh, maybe OEMs that aren't gonna aren't gonna be able to sell that you know raise their price because of some reason. I mean, it's it's just a tricky spot to be yeah. in, um, and yeah, who who knows what kind of promises end <laughs> up getting made to to try and make it work uh, in a time like this it's 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 yeah i mean because in the end i think big industry will come first if it ends up being too much of a supply chain disruption or if it goes if the pendulum swings too much um you know uh for the demand of powder and it's still you know because that's basically could it could get worse right um and if it does then you know those in big industry will come in and they're going to buy it up first there's even been i mean i've i've heard of some coders actually just buying ahead of time almost like from a hoarding point of view like if they've got um certain contracts that you know they're of parts uh, that they have to put out, you know, they are going ahead and buying ahead of time. Uh, are they hoarding or are they taking that kind of prepper point of view? Are they wrong mm -hmm. in that? I don't know, but you know, it, it, it could actually end up making things worse, I guess, uh, if they're over buying or pre-purchasing um, and maybe the front of the line pass could be a good thing to kind of slow that down or tamper that down. I don't know. 
Um, it also could put a lot of really hard downward pressure on really, really small garage coders um, and stuff like that who just don't have enough uh, cash flow to to compete on that level, you know. So do worry about that as well as sort of a, a negative outcome um, and stuff on that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been, it, it, these are interesting times, <laughs> Scott, <laughs> these are interesting yeah. times. Um, and I, I look forward to, uh, talking with, having you come back on the show more and uh, more regularly and, and talking of, and keeping us posted and up to date and talking about these trends and how they're progressing. Um, is I think we're yeah, right I at mean, the beginning. I'd be happy to come back. I, um, I've enjoyed the conversation and, um, you know, it's given me stuff to think about as well. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm still learning this industry and, um, you know, looking around and thinking about a lot of the same kind of things. So, um, you know, it's on one hand, I guess, not having experience in it, uh, you know, coming into it, that, that, the way that I did um, mm -hmm. has been tricky, but it, it also, you know, you, you draw on your other knowledge and things that you've seen. And sometimes you gain insights that way um, and think of things in a different way. So I don't know, I'm, I'm soaking it all in, I guess, and trying to, to just um, learn what I can. Yeah. I think for me, like my dad was in broadcasting um, and spent most of his life in radio and TV. And I'll never forget, like, and maybe that's where I get some of my wackadoodle stuff or my deep thinking stuff from, is he always told me to read between the lines, you know, and, you know, he would get, you know, if you've, know anything about broadcasting and stuff you know you'll get uh, there's the wire right which is these printers that would just run off and you know people would just be typing in their report from ap or um from you know new york times and and stuff like that and they're just writing these reports uh and uh um you know, I'd get excited as a kid because, you know, all of a sudden this printer would be, you know, typing the report or whatever. And, you know, then they would tear it off and then read through it and cut and paste uh, what they were going to talk about on the show. Uh, and but, you know, reading between the lines is so vitally important for every business owner today because you see stuff on TV and, you know, mainstream media media is just spinning it already for you. Right. Um, but if you can get your hands on, you know, I think that's why I like your magazine and I like, you know, some of the other leading man manufacturing magazines that I read because you want to be able to read between the, that's where you can read between the lines and, and formulate these potential outcomes for your business that are so, so really, really important. Um, and so we rely on your magazine to bring us that kind of information that come hand, hands on, like the guy from the, you know, the two guys that wrote that responded to in your article about what they were actually experiencing on the front lines of their business, because chances yeah. are everybody else was ex is, is experiencing it on some level similar to them. Yeah. yeah. I had a colleague on um, the Composites World brand that, that used to talk all the time about connecting the dots um, in the industry. And it was amazing. She would um, just from looking at the different stories, start thinking about some next um, thing that might happen. And sure enough, somebody would come out with it. And, and it, it, she, it, was, it was almost just like future predicting at times. <laughs> and, um, I, I wish I could do that. I'm, I think about it a lot as I'm watching this stuff and, and trying to, it is basically like, you know, most, much of what the conversation we've had today is thinking just about all these different pieces and what they mean and mm -hmm. all the players and what, um, you know, what, what's going to happen, but it's, it's interesting to watch and, um, it'll be interesting to see where we land from, from this. 
with the industry getting back together and, and, you know, I've, I've got trade shows lined up. I, you know, it's going to be interesting just a few months from now to see where everyone's heads yeah. at and, and what kind of progress we make just from that. Right. And right. Yeah. And, so. and just the new conversations people are going to have post COVID. Right. Because I exactly. think their eyes are open now. Right. We're, you know, yeah. like before in 2019, we're too busy. We're busy, 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 you know, and, and nobody had time to think and read between the lines um, because it just took precedence, right? You know, just getting the work done and moving on and moving forward. Um, and it, 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 but now this sort of undercurrent um, disruption has allowed us to kind of bubble up uh, and think about how it's really truly affecting us right yeah. you know and that's the one thing that i think covid pandemic thing has is like how do i feel how do i feel about it <laughs> you know it's certainly become very personalized uh and stuff um but thank you so much for coming on the show today i appreciate it i can't wait for you to come back and talk more about this and i have a feeling that when when we do come back we'll have actually maybe some future predictions and stuff uh, yeah. on where it's going. Because as you say, as these um, conventions start happening, people are going to start talking, you're going to start hearing things and then we'll have maybe a, a more clear line. But I think the fog of the pandemic and COVID and the disruptions and the um, supply chain stuff definitely has stirred up a lot of stuff for us to have new conversations and what it, you know, and it, it's exciting. I, I think it's exciting because I like, I like change and I like things to, to, to get, I got, I like new insights. I like the clarity to be gone. I don't mind the supply chain disruption, but I just need to know, okay, what's my angle? You know, what, <laughs> what's it mean for me? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I can speak from firsthand experience that some of the, uh, the programming for conferences that are coming up is based on these talking points. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, how poignant for you because you stepped into it right at, you know, so if anything, you were kind of really the, 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 uh, the, right, the guy in the middle, right? Because um, <laughs> right from the get, you were the guy in the middle sort of thing, you know? So, you're in a very unique position to, uh, to to bring us more great information uh, through your magazine and stuff. Of course, we've got our little, I don't know, you probably can't see it, but I'll see if I can move my camera. Of course, we got Ross's Top Shop 2019 in the background, very proudly, oh. very proudly uh, uh, displayed. Um, so very honored to have that award and and, and help us uh, solidify who we are in the marketplace and what we stand for. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Kim, I've, I've really, uh, enjoyed our conversation. And, um, like you said, I look forward to, to talking more. That's yeah. Awesome. Sounds great. Okay, cool. Uh, well, we'll say aloha. Uh, you want to say aloha? Aloha. <laughs> That's how we end our podcast.